When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to make a quick mention that there are some heavy subjects in this episode. Um, Coach Kate is an inspiring survivor, and I love this conversation. But for some people, it might be a little too much. So there are some things like pregnancy and child loss, domestic violence, abusive relationships, parental abandonment. There's some tough stuff. Like I said, Coach Kate's a survivor. That part of the conversation takes place the first half of the episode. If you want to hear the rest, you know, feel free to jump past our commercial break. Um, but for some listeners, it might be best to just go back and listen to a different episode or join us next week. So with that said, here's Coach Kate. Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about learning to say no and set boundaries to live our best lives. I'm your host, Heather Drago. You may think because of this podcast that I'm a boundary setting expert, but I'm not. I'm an expert at struggling to set boundaries, but you know what? I'm working on it and it is getting easier. Follow along with me as I learn from fellow strugglers and experts so that you too can start saying no without feeling fear, guilt, or FOMO. strong. Kate Rawlings, gym owner, professional CrossFit athlete, single mom, and women's coach, joins us to talk about survival and recovery. After many extreme life hardships, including major physical injuries, profound grief, and an abusive marriage, Kate has come back in full force. We're profoundly grateful for her willingness to come onto the podcast to dig into the difficult times of life and to show others that recovery is real and truly possible. Thanks, Kate, for coming on. That's a hard no. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So let's just start with your story. Sure. How far back do you want me to go? Well, I mean, whatever you're comfortable sharing, whatever you think is relevant to the um, conversation. So I think we'll go back as far as, as college. So I was a art major. Um, Yay. I decided that I would get a degree in black and white film photography with a graduation date the same year that Kodak stopped making film. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to my <laughs> uh, 
junior year, end of my junior year, and realized that I pretty much had painted myself literally and figuratively into a corner of a useless degree. And I always thought, well, what am I going to do? My mom said, just get through college, graduate, figure it out from there. And I was a D1 full ride soccer player oh, and wow. president of my sorority in college. So I had some pretty big kudos that allowed me to get hired directly out of college. Um, so I've never lived in the matrix, right? So I call the matrix <laughs> that like standard, I should go to college, I should get married, mm-hmm. I should get the nine to five, I should work on getting the promotion, right? Kind of all of those things and I'll enjoy life when I'm 65. Um, I've never lived in that matrix. So, um, you know, fast forward, I did the corporate thing for a couple of years. Um, pretty much like everyone else, I was real quote unquote lazy, right? I worked the nine to five, I sat at a desk, we went partying, all of those things. And all of a sudden now I was 210 pounds at the age of 22. Like this is not a good path to be on. So I stumbled across CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 2006, late 2006, early 2007. And I went down, they were doing workouts under a bridge. There were not even any brick and mortar gyms. So wow. I went down and once a week. Under a bridge, it's like yeah, in, the, the, van, in the lake Down by parks. the river. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it literally was by the river. I should show you a photo That's of it funny. when we're done. Yeah. It was under the Lakewood Bridge in the in the Metro Parks once a week. They got together and worked out. And then that kind of snowballed into me getting certified. Uh, I started competing in CrossFit in 2008, I think was the first one. Um, I had to fly from Cleveland, Ohio, down to, I think it was San Antonio or Houston, Texas, because that was the closest competition at the time. Oh, wow. Um, managed to win that and kind of fell into this, like, I guess I'm pretty good at working out. Um, fast forward then, two years from there, I qualified for the CrossFit Games, which is like the Olympics of CrossFit. Okay. So there's 45 men and 45 women worldwide that qualify per year um, to go and try to win the title of the fittest on earth. Um, I still am not totally sure how it happened, but I ended up deciding to open my own gym <clears throat> that same year. So I think maybe two months before the CrossFit Games, I put my notice in at the job I was doing. Um, and they weren't surprised because I started with them when they were a startup company and grew with the company and managed to get picked up by Reebok. Oh, wow. So here I was at 27, decided to open my own gym, professional athlete. What could go wrong? I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the dream, right? Yeah, right. It is the dream. And it yeah. wasn't even a dream I really had. I just yeah. didn't fight it. Yeah. Um, and so you think, OK, well, I've got it all. And then life happens. Um, I managed to break my back. Um, oh, my God. Which I don't recommend. Um, so I was sidelined for about three months. That's um, it? Three months? <laughs> so, well, so the three months of sidelining was like, you can't pick anything up, not even your computer bag. Whoa. So I was in a brace from uh, basically mid rib cage, bottom of the sternum to the top of my hip so that the spine stayed stable. Um, like a turtle shell thing. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so from there, I then recovered. I was getting ready for the next season of CrossFit qualification process. Um, and two weeks before the qualification process, I ruptured my Achilles. Um, which wow. is not a great injury. 
Um, yeah, you picked some good ones. You yeah, the I go big. Yeah, I go yeah, big. yeah, yeah. When I go yeah. big, I no go big. No sprained ankles for you. Uh, and I just I remember even the surgeon came in and he was like, "Yeah, this is a bad one. You're probably done competing." Oh, like wow, cool, super great. Um, and I think that was my first forte going down um, into a real deep, dark, depressed rabbit hole of if I am not Kate Killer Rawlings, because that was my nickname when I competed. And who am I? Then who am I? And why do I have a gym? And why will anybody take me seriously? Yeah. Um, I had wrapped this idea of your identity and your role into being the same thing and being 29, mm-hmm. not not knowing that there there were words out there to, to split those off of mm-hmm. your value is not the role you play and your identity does not actually define you. Right. Um, and that was my first time working with a life coach. Okay. And it was somebody that I had known through the CrossFit world. Um, and she helped me kind of dick myself out of that hole to a certain degree. I think it all kind of lived with me um, through that decade of life. I don't think I ever really truly healed from that because a decision was made for me that I wasn't ready to make. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to be done competing. I didn't want to walk away from. Well, there's grief, right? You, yeah. had, you had like fallen into this life and you were living it and loving it. And, and then you had to let some of those possibilities go. And I'm sure there was a lot of grief you were feeling. And that is not a logical, no linear thing. Um, and it can, it can really surprise you when it hits and how it hits. And yeah. Yeah. And it, it was one of the times too, that I realized what a direct impact where my headspace is on my business. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I couldn't focus on, pouring into others because I didn't have anything to pour um, really took a toll on the business. So at the same time, I'm dealing with this grief of having to give up a career that I loved and a path that I thought was going to be phenomenal for me. Um, I also had to have some very serious like heart to hearts of is the business going to make it? Mm -hmm. Can I pay the bills? Is this going to work? Luckily, you know, not luckily, right? I did the work, get out of the hole. Um, and you think, okay, things are good and we're back, like we're back on track. Um, and then a client came into the gym and it's always something that I tell people, don't cross lines, right? Don't date clients. It's not a good thing to do. I had to get off of my own soapbox because I had interest in a client. Um, and and the, the kind of the twist of it all was that she was a woman. Um, I had never been interested in a woman. It never really crossed my mind other than being drunk at a bar in college and making out with your sorority sister because the frat boys thought that was cool. Like, wasn't a thing. Um, But it felt like a thing. And she asked me to go out and I really debated whether I should do it. Should I not? Um, And I just kind of followed my gut and decided to say yes. Uh, I remember at the time I was living with my parents Um, and I told her that I was going to go on a date with Mimi and it was very eye opening and surprising and not in a good way. Mm. And she said, this is going to go one of two ways. We're going to pretend this conversation never happened or you're going to get out of my house. And so I packed a bag and she said, where are you going? That was terrible. I, I'm sorry. I'm just, just, I mean, as a parent, I just. This comes up a lot in my house because I have an LGBTQ plus okay. child. 
and yeah. and their friends parents react the same way and i just i just you know i just don't get it so i get it after the fact okay um and so i moved out that evening um and i said i'll be back for the rest of my things when you're not here and i didn't talk to her for six months and I remember my dad would come to me in private uh, and we would we would meet at the gym at the office and he would just cry because he loved me and he wanted to support me. But he vowed in his marriage that he would support his wife. And so he felt like he was really stuck. So I have to love your mother and support her. Um, but I also want you to know that I love you. And so he tried to kind of reason with yeah. both sides. And the first conversation thought. we had... Um, was a lot of screaming, right? So there was a lot of yelling at each other, my mom and I. Um, but to the other side, it ended up being this incredibly beautiful, authentic, like if my option, you know, my mom had to face, if I have to pick between my child and the world, she picked the world. That was her initial reaction um, because she wasn't sure how to explain what was happening. She didn't have the language. Um, the group that she was in didn't have LGBTQ people in it. Mm -hmm. um, she thought she was okay with it, but it wasn't in her family, right? So the same time that she's kicking me out, she is becoming godparents to a same-sex couple's twins. So it becomes this, I'm okay if you do it, but as long as it's not too close to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so she had to face that because I I walked away. I'm not doing this. It's not something I want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's nothing that I could tell my mother at this point that would make me not love her and vice versa, because I feel like when you decide, like, I'm done, you're dead to me and you can come back, like that's unconditional love. Right. Right. Um, and to be able to just totally see that there are completely different viewpoints and I don't understand her and she doesn't understand me. And like, we just had to do the work. To yeah. get to a place where she never really understood it. And I don't know that she would now if I dated a woman again. But I know that she loves me no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. Which is really cool. Yeah. It's a um, big journey. And not everybody gets there. Right. And then again, right? So just like with the Achilles, you come out as LGBTQ, I lost half of my staff. They walked. You're kidding. Mm-mm. We'll stay here as long as you guys keep this private. We'll continue to work for you as long as you don't hold hands in public. Well, right. So there were all these stipulations. Um, and so I said, that's fine. You no longer work here. Half of my clientele walked. Wow. Which that was what, 2011, 2012. And you think it's pretty progressive that that's normalized. And it, it, it wasn't. And there are people that are not ready to be around it, not ready to accept it. Mm -hmm. It's still super taboo. Um, so again, you know, it became this like big life adversity, business tanks. Mm -hmm. um, long story short, that relationship didn't work out for a lot of reasons. Business is back on track. Um, I met my then now ex-husband. Um, we ended up getting pregnant fairly quickly. And at 22 weeks, I went into labor. My water broke. They don't know why. Um, you have no choice at that point but to deliver. Right. And 
things have changed since then. Um, nowadays, I think they'll start trying to survive at 20. But at that time, their cutoff was if, if you go into labor prior to 24 weeks, that unless they come out breathing, they're not going to make an attempt to resuscitate. Um, so I remember having to make that choice of we know that we're going to have to labor and deliver. We're going to have to at least get her out. And so your, cho your choices are we're going to labor and deliver and she can come out whole or we can do a DNC where essentially you're never going to see her. Um, right. It's basically an abortion mm -hmm. um, and she'll come out in pieces and then we can just wipe our hands of it and move along. Um, and that was a really hard decision. Um, I'm sorry. That's I don't wish it on anybody. Yeah, that's. Um, but she was strong right to the very end. And I, I felt that I never was going to get married or have children. Like it just wasn't really on my radar. I didn't have that like dying maternal instinct. Um, and she taught me that I wanted to be a mom. And so I felt like she deserved the honor to come out whole, even though it was harder on me Yeah, because I had to go through a labor and delivery process knowing the end result. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. I've also had a miscarriage, but not the same way. And I, yeah. I can't really imagine. I mean, I know the grief I went through. Sure. I can't imagine going through that experience and then having to say goodbye. That's yeah. terrible. I'm sorry. It's, yeah. It's um, couldn't really tell you what happened for the next year of my life after that. I think I just was kind of going through life. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of guilt around feeling happiness mm -hmm. um, and feeling joy mm -hmm. and do I deserve to feel happy knowing that I couldn't fulfill this role or how could I how could I does it not mean anything to me right yeah just because you're happy doesn't mean you forgot right um, and so I struggled with that for a long time mm -hmm. um, we had two more miscarriages um, and then we got the rainbow so that was uh certainly exciting yeah um having a tiny little human that came out and i just you know remember hearing him cry so we ended up in a not emergency c-section but like a pretty urgent one like we've got to make some decisions and we've got to make them somewhat quickly um and i remember hearing him cry and then i don't remember anything because they've got you so high <laughs> um on all of the things and i think emotional overwhelm and the feeling of like okay he's alive like, I did my job, and now I can breathe. Um, but I remember waking up in the recovery room and asking my husband at the time to go and take a photo because I had no idea what he looked like. Oh, right. Because when he came out, they took his temperature. He was at 104. And so the team immediately took him. They so they didn't away. even yeah. – I didn't even have a chance to see him. And I remember that first 24 hours we had to, you know, we had to test him for basically everything under the sun. They were drawing blood. They did a spinal tap. They did all of these things because they couldn't figure out his liver and his kidneys weren't functioning. Mm. Um, and so then you have that like gut wrenching drop of like, did I get close to the end line and I still couldn't do it. Um, so they transferred us downtown to um, the Rainbow Babies UH and we were there for about a week. And every day he just consistently got better. And so they're running tests. I think we saw like 24 specialists that all came in and did their own variation of things. Um, come to find out that ultimately it was just stress on the body. And the fact that when your body is under that much extreme stress, 
it starts to shut down non-vital organs so that it can keep the brain and the heart alive. So when they stabilized and supported his regular functions, he was able to heal yep. and day over day, he just wow. his body just kind of calmed down. He settled Incredible. in and ton of kangaroo care. Can't imagine and... the stress you were under in the meantime. Yeah, it was it was probably the time I knew that the marriage wasn't gonna work. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. How you handle when, pressure when we're, and stress when we're downtown at you know. Yeah. UH and he's going through all of these tests and my husband is complaining about the food or his back hurts or I'm going to go home and shower and take a nap and like <laughs> mm -hmm. cool. So Thanks bud. Yeah, yeah, that was probably the first warning sign of like this maybe is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> so you told us your story. We're going to talk about how you got through all this. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to step away for a commercial break and we'll be mm -hmm. right back. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. Hi. My name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Okay, we're back. Um, so Kate, I mean, that's a lot. And you went through many cycles of grief yep. and stress and like what have you learned from that what have you learned about grief in general and how to pull yourself out of it or what do you tell people when you see they're going through it like just I guess what are your general thoughts about the grief you've gone through and how you got to the other side sure um you know I think it was probably COVID much like everybody else that really got forced to look at things super hard mm -hmm. um and i think um almost losing both of my parents to covid mm. um and and literally having to plan their funerals because that was the path that they were on Yikes. um you're faced with mortality and the choices that you're making and i think you can make a lot of excuses um or deny a lot of things or reason your way out of things but when you face 
literal life and death, mm -hmm. you start to prioritize what is the priority and what are we doing here in this world? Like, what is, like, why am I on this planet and, mm -hmm. and what am I going to do with it? And for me, it really forced me to be able to have to make hard choices. Mm -hmm. um, I had to make a hard choice to prioritize my son over my marriage. Um, I mean, I guess I didn't have to, but it felt like I had to. And for me, I always tell people I choose joy. Yeah. Because we all have choices. And life is a struggle. It just is. And unfortunately, I think we're in this world where we think that if we're not happy all the time, that we're failing. Mm -hmm. Or if we're not successful for the definition of someone else, that I have failed. And if you can learn to define your version of success, then it doesn't matter what the rest of the world does. And if you can live every day and look yourself in the mirror and say, I did the best I could with the resources I had today, then that's a win. But we put this, this huge pressure to do all of these things and have stuff and travel the world and you know, I even find this still, it's this like game of comparison. Mm -hmm. And that's a death sentence. Mm -hmm. It just is. Like, maybe it's important for you to travel to Italy and then from Italy go to Peru and from Peru go to Russia or like wherever it is, that you, that's, that's what's important to you. That's not what's important to me. So if we're comparing the apple and the orange based on their size and their color, but they're, we're not even in the same realm. Like you're broccoli and I'm an apple. Like, right. It doesn't matter what you have. Right. If right. I have what I need and I'm happy. Yeah. That's, that's what makes life worth living and grief and sadness and pain are going to happen. It's not, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I don't care. You could be the healthiest. I just remember being shocked. There was a, a woman down in Austin that I knew for a long time from the CrossFit world, she didn't eat anything that was processed. She drank the water. She worked out twice a day. You know, she had the lean body mass that you see on the Fit Shape magazines. Um, she died of cancer. Yeah. Like she did all the things that they said was going to, that was going to save you. Yeah. And it didn't save her. So yeah. we keep kicking the can down the road of like, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just lose that 10 pounds, mm -hmm. if I could just whatever, fill in the blank, but you miss the moment. There's someone I really care about in my life who struggles with depression. And they said to me one day, you know, how do you, how do you just get up and live every day? Like what, like what gets you, like I don't wake up and I don't feel happy. And I sort of looked at them and I was like, well, I don't want you to think everyone's walking around waking up super happy and like birds are singing mm -hmm. and, you know, like I don't necessarily wake up happy every day. Yeah. I just wake up and I know I kind of have this sort of mission in my life. Sure. Right. The the things that give me fulfillment um, and I just get to it. And then through doing those things, I eventually find fulfillment and happiness. Yeah. But it's not like the goal is to feel happy. 
And I think with social media and all mm-hmm. the garbage we're all being fed all the time, there's this myth that we all need to, you know, live like the Kardashians and be on all the social medias and be super happy and yeah. make a lot of money. And that ain't it. That ain't what life's about. Yeah. You know, um, totally. you, you need to figure out what your what what fills your cup and then just go about doing it. And eventually you'll realize you've been happy. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I have this conversation a lot with um, my wellness clients um, about what it is that makes you happy. So, and it's, listen, my my average client is me, right? I, uh, <laughs> I'm a 41-year-old parent that works full-time. Um, my average client is a 45-year-old parent of two that works full-time. Mm-hmm. And you ask them, what makes you happy? And it is the saddest thing, but I would say 95% of them don't. No. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't a mom, right? So if you had a day to yourself, what are you going to do to fill your bucket? And, and they're paralyzed. Like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what sounds fun Mm -hmm. because if I'm not at work and I'm not doing for others, I don't know who I am or what I want. Mm -hmm. And that's the missing link. Like, if you don't know what brings you joy, right? So for me, and I've said it for years, that I was put on this earth to get other people to believe in themselves. How I do that right now is through fitness. And I do it through wellness coaching and mindset coaching. But if the gym went under and I went bankrupt, I would find another way to help people believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. Because that's what brings me joy. Right. I know that. Right. But it took a lot of work and digging into myself and, and having to say, I don't. I don't want the corner office. I don't want the 4,000 square foot home in the HOA. Like, I don't want, like, it's icky to me. (laughs) But it's hard to say that out loud because I'm supposed to want that. And you don't want to be seen as criticizing those who do want those things. Correct. Right. Yeah. Or it becomes a, you offend people. Mm -hmm. Because you're rejecting. Because I know what I want. Yeah, and you're rejecting what they have. It's even less rejection. You think? And I think it's more envy. I think there are uh, a ton of people that are living lives because, right, we, we are, we're told, right, just this is just the societal structure. You go to school, you get the degree, you get married, you buy the house, you have the kids, you retire when you're 65. And so, like, that's the dream you're sold and that's the American dream. And it's a weird thing, right? It's not, to me, it's not a midlife crisis that happens. It's a midlife realization, yeah, I, like, saw, I, I saw your realized, video about this on social yeah, and I loved like, it. Yeah. I've realized that I don't want any of this. Yeah. But how do you how do you get out of it? Right. How right? Because now you're seen as a failure if you take a step back and get a smaller house. Like, why is that failing? Right. Like, yeah, you're changing careers. It doesn't mean that they're that you're having a mental break and there's something wrong with you. That brought you joy. It doesn't bring you any joy. Go do something else. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. people are so paralyzed and well, this is what people expect of me. Why yeah. do you care? Yeah sort of touches back on what you said earlier in the conversation where you talked about people get tied up in their identity being yeah. being the same as their value and right? their role and their role and and I see this especially in some of the young people around me and I and I almost see sort of this thought process of I went to school for this thing yep. I don't have a job in this thing yep. I have failed 
so it's everything's pointless and like yeah you know what i mean like i'm I've, i'm off the track there's no way back on the track and i need to be on that track sure and because i'm not on that track i'm a loser <laughs> yeah you know and um, i mean i get it i i mean and, i guess i don't get it because i've never and, really and been and on my the track. life is the proverbial you know um robert frost like I, I I'm an art school dropout. Like I had a whole different plan and I yeah. ended up meandering off in the woods in these weird directions. And here I am with a podcast about boundaries and a marketing company. Like what? Yeah. This was not on the radar. I was an art major owning a gym. So Yeah, right. So <laughs> I found <laughs> uh, But uh yeah, it's like I guess what I try to tell especially young people is is, you know, like you don't have it figured out yet. Like j- having a plan is like it's like when I was doing paintings, I would kind of have a plan. I would yeah. have a sketch. I would have a color palette in mind. And then I would hope things would go wrong because it's when the things would go wrong that the great surprises would happen. And I'd end up yeah. with a much better piece of art. So, you know, I just feel like you can't be so rigid. You have to kind of kind of go with the flow. But you but you do have to listen to your gut. Um you know, there, there's a yeah. there's a balance of going with the flow, setting boundaries. It said earlier, you said you listened to your gut with the the woman you got involved with. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, you didn't listen to your gut. Your gut was telling you maybe this wasn't a good idea. Yeah. I mean, and listen, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? and like the relationship didn't work, so maybe it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but I think it also led me down a beautiful path to see the world in a different way. Right. Right. And I think. That every negative experience that I've been through now gives me a different skill set to yeah. then turn around to those still behind me right. and say, I see you. Yeah. I have felt what you are feeling and I'm here. Yeah. And here's my hand. And come with me. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I like, feel like it's made me a stronger person. Right? How many people do you empathetic? look at and you're like, I really am in awe of that person. They've never had anything wrong in their life. Like, no, every person that you look at and you're like, God, they're an incredible person. Like... They have been through some stuff. And so while grief is hard, it is our greatest teacher mm-hmm. to me. Um, and listen, I'm in a place right now where I'm really happy and I know it's coming. I don't know what it is <laughs> or from like what angle. Yeah. But it's coming. That's what happens. That's and it's going to hit me. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be what it'll be. Yeah. On the same path we're on, I was like, you know, snooping on the sleuthing on the interwebs gotta love google um and i saw you talk about limiting beliefs yeah and how to control those tune those out silence them sure i think that kind of weaves into the conversation we're having here do you Mm -hmm. want to talk about that a little bit yeah so i think right limiting belief and imposter syndrome to me are kind of the same um And it becomes this, and I learned this from a speaker, and I wish I could remember her name, but I can't, so I apologize, but I'm going to steal, I'm going to not take credit for your work, but I'm going to share it. Um, It's this idea that, right, your your inner self or this like limiting belief is there to keep you alive, right? She keeps you from running into traffic (laughs) or Mm -hmm. like playing with fire when you know you don't know what you're doing, right? So you, you want her to be with you because she keeps you safe. The problem is sometimes she goes on overdrive and you want to pull her back from that and invite her to sit next to you and like, hey, let's address your fears point by point with Mm -hmm. fact. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that it's really scary that you're going to open up your own gym and you have no idea how to pay the rent, but like, we'll figure it out. We'll get clients Mm -hmm. and we're good at what we do. And so sometimes you have to reassure yourself. Right, right. right. And and invite them along for the adventure and then just say like, listen, if it doesn't work, you can say, I told you so. 
but like we're going to go ahead. Right. And so those limiting beliefs are fear that doesn't need to be there because you can do things that you are afraid to do and do them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think of them as like when you're setting goals for yourself or you're setting like I have this aspiration to do this thing and then you go, well, could I really, you know, and, yeah. you, and you pull it back. And so lately I've been doing this thing like, well, okay, I'm going to make it a stretch goal. If I don't achieve yeah. the goal, who cares? At least I've gotten further than I would have. There was an right? awesome book that I read and I, I don't remember, again, I don't remember what it is, um, but it's not, we often get limited by how we're going to get there. Yeah. I want to make a million dollars. How am I going to do that? Like, that's an overwhelming, paralyzing thing. Cool. I have no idea. But who do I know that can help me get there? Right. So I find the person that's doing the thing that I think I want to do. And then I figure out what they're doing. And I, for me, I weasel my way in to figure out how to be their friend. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm going to bug you until you work with me and then teach me everything you know. And then sometimes I decide, like, that's not what I want. That wasn't it. Yeah. But it's not the how you're going to get there. It's who do I know that can help me get there? Right. And it takes the pressure off. I don't have right. to know how to get there because somebody else has already done it. I just right. got to figure out connecting with that person. Right. And listen, maybe it's like I, I connect with the intern over coffee and then the intern knows the assistant and like <laughs> then I'm taking the assistant to lunch. Yeah. And then like the assistant like endears to me and is like, hey, I'm just going to introduce you. Perfect. Yeah. But that might take three years. Right. That's okay. Right, right. That's who I need to connect with. Right. right. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Figure right. that out on the way. I like that. Don't let don't let the how parallels you. Yeah. Okay, so this is supposed to be all about boundaries. I feel like we've touched about it in so many sure. words. But like before we end, last final words about listening to yourself, setting boundaries for yourself. I think one of the biggest takeaways is that no is a complete sentence. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> right? No, like, period. <laughs> a lot of people want to say no. And then they feel like they have to justify it. And yes. they somehow manage to talk themselves into a yes. Yeah. Like, just say no and hang up the phone. Yeah. Like, say no and close the computer. Like, yes. just stop. Um, Because when you know how to say no so that you can say yes to yourself. Yes. Because otherwise, every time you say yes to something that isn't meant to be, you're, you're taking, saying no to yourself. Yeah, you're taking energy, time, resources away from yourself. Yep. I have this new thing I started doing. I get at least 10 emails a day trying to pitch me specific things related to my business. And I found myself constantly repeating the same, no, thank you. Please remove me from your mailing list. And then I realized my email program allows you to like do an automatic signature. Mm. So I've developed a signature that's just said, no, thanks. And so when I click on no thanks, it just says, no, thank you. Please remove me from your mailing list. Oh, you're nicer than and me. Then, I just dump them into junk. I'm just like, no. <laughs> no, the thing is, the thing is, a lot of these people are using automated email systems oh, okay. and they have drip campaigns and they're yep. going to. They're going to barrage me with 10 more emails yeah. if I just try to ignore them. And this is true with setting boundaries in real life. Yeah. If you just ignore people and you don't give them an answer or you give them too soft an answer, they're just going to keep asking. Yeah. So you have to set the boundary. Yeah. You have to say no. It's a hard no. That's Listen, right. and what is the other one that I always tell people when they're struggling to make decisions? If it's not a hell yeah, yes. it's a no. Yes. Um, there's a book called Hell Yeah or No by Really? Yes. And uh, I'm gonna buy it on Amazon on the way home. Yeah, and you can buy it you can buy it from the author directly and he'll give you an, an a digital version of it as well. Derek awesome. I think it's Derek Summers. I'll I put love the link on our books like that. It's a little book, it's great. Um I'll put that on the show notes so everyone can find it. So awesome. so Kate, tell us how people can find you. 
and um, connect with you. Yep. What so, you're up to. Uh, honestly, the best way to reach me is my direct gym email, which is cocacrossfit at gmail.com. That comes straight to me. I'm happy to help anybody that wants it. C-O-C-A? C-O-C-A-C-R-O-S-S-F-I-T. So all one word at Gmail, but you can find me at Coca Athletics both on uh, Instagram and Facebook. You can find me at The Lioness Mind um, on Instagram and Facebook. So I'm pretty findable. Great. (laughs) <laughs> well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like we are, we've mind melded like here. Yes, absolutely. And um, I really appreciate you sharing your story and yeah. being so open with everybody and uh, for being such a great example of strength and survivorship. I'm here for. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so that's it for now. Thanks for listening. That's a Hard No is a production of Clever Girl Marketing, my little agency in Cleveland, in partnership with our friends at Evergreen Podcasts. Many thanks to our amazing team, including Maura Del Rosario, our production and marketing coordinator, Noah Fouts, our amazing producer, editor, and composer who wrote our theme music and performed it with his band, The Big Leagues, and our new video producer and editor, Kay Holmberg. You can find show notes and resources on our website, and you can find other fun stuff on our socials. We're Hard No Podcast, and we're now on YouTube, so check us out there. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite listening platforms, but especially Apple. Can you please do us a favor? Give us a rating and review so more people can find us and learn how to say no. So until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no and say it with me. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. It is from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.